No, no. Alright. I'm gonna trade you two sheep for that wood. Tell me, honey, does that sound good? Cause all I really wanna do is take away longest road from you, yeah. Welcome to these tabletop sessions. Welcome to the welcome to the welcome to these tabletop sessions. Hello, fellow gregarious geeks and gamers, and welcome to the 44th episode of the Tabletop Sessions podcast. This is your monthly dose of tabletop gaming stories and shenanigans. My name is Elias, and with me today, it's the all-new shiny 2024 model Hippocrates bot. Hello. <laughs> that sounds like an 80s model. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Not yeah. a 2020. It's it's a tre- it's a trend, I guess. I guess I suppose it is. Robots or 80s? Uh, both, I hope. All right. Yeah, I mean, it it seems that way. Uh, happy New Year, Ipo. How have you been? Yeah, Happy New Year. I was in Qatar the whole uh, holiday season, playing board games actually. Oh, that's nice. But I, I was taking what you don't ask game. me how my New Year's. <laughs> I mean, I, I was gonna, but I was gonna first say that <laughs> I didn't play many new games. I played a lot of the same. You know, how was your New Year and uh, great holiday I, uh, season? We had nine people in the house, which was a lot. Oh. One could say. But I loved it because I love a crowded house for Christmas and New Year's. And uh, and then everyone can get out after that. So, uh, <laughs> so it's like a lot a lot of what? a lot of noise, but not for a minute longer, you know. <laughs> but was it an excuse to play games with a lot of people? You'd think, but we ended up just doing more like stupid games like who am I? And hum yeah. that tune and charades and <laughs> things like that. Uh, yeah. But since then, I've played a bunch of good games, which is nice. Um, but uh, stupid things. I mean, <laughs> like, sorry. I mean, like, yeah, like normal, like you know, pedestrian, less intelligent people games. That's all I mean. I don't mean yeah. any offense. Yeah, I just like, mean you that's... know, stu- stupid people games. Yeah, exactly. So. Savages. <laughs> So what did you play over uh, over New Year's and since we talked last? So uh, I played a lot of uh, the crypto and uh, Quacks of Quendlinburg, apparently. Okay. Uh, but the new game I played was Dune Imperium Uprising. Have you heard of this game? It's a it's a very new one. Yeah, people were pissed off. They said it was like a reskin of the original version, Dune Imperium. Yes, yeah, so I was I went to Board Game Geek, and it's not registered as a re-implementation of Dune Imperium, which is what obviously is. I played the game; it's really uh, better than Dune Imperium. Really, in certain minor things that yeah, they they have improved certain minor things. That's good. It's clearly a new version of Dune Imperium. Okay. So I. Probably 
but they, probably they wanted just to have the the old version because they don't want to take the risk of people uh, liking more the previous version and removing it from the market, I guess. So they just gave it a new name and said, okay, no, this is a new, different game. Which is strange, I, I, I think. I think, like, if it was, like, Dune Imperium 2nd Edition, um, you see a lot of people buying this one. Uh, Though nobody would buy the old version, right? Yes, but, like, if it's right. Dune Imperium Uprising, people might buy both of them because they're like, well, they're different enough. Yes. They both have a place on my shelf. Oh, my God. Nonsense. It's exactly yeah. what you're saying. Now, now everything makes sense. Yes. This is what it is. Plus, it's got a super cool sandworm on the cover. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, actually, it's funny because when we played Dune Imperium, I talked about it, I think, last episode or the one before. I played with Mo and I, I quite liked it. And I, I put it on my wish list for like trades or whatever. And um, I wasn't sure which one to put. And people were saying, the first version with the expansions is really good. Um, the problem I had is like, I know myself basically when I buy expansions, I just kind of stop playing the game because I never know like how to teach it or, or what to include in it. It so becomes I like too a game much. To, be, to stand on its own. Exactly. So, but then people said on its own, the new version was better than the old version. So I put Uprising on my list instead. So I'm glad to hear that uh, you agree that it is yeah. the better option. I do need to pick up a copy of that. I, I, That's awesome. I, I totally agree. And now that you said so, I understand why they didn't uh, call it the second edition. Because for me, it was like Twilight Imperium. I mean, you have first edition, second edition, third edition. I mean, yeah. but the gap, I guess, between the years of its release is bigger in Twilight Imperium. Dune Imperium was a... a Sons of... Bitches. It was a new <laughs> game anyway, right? It's like, what, 2020? Brand new. Yeah, a couple of years, yeah. yeah. Anyways. Um, so, interesting, yeah. yeah. I, got to play, I got to play another Splutter uh, just like a week ago, Bus, for the first time. I don't feel like I'm ready to oh uh, review it, but uh, it's a root-building game, um, and uh, I, I really liked it, and I did, and, you know, I, I got it, and I, I did, not bought it, like I, I got it like mentally. I didn't buy it, but I might <laughs> if I could get a copy <laughs> or trade for it. Oh. It's it's worth having, I think. And I just you know, it's just about building bus routes and stuff and picking up and delivering passengers through worker placement. It has something very similar to Dominant Species where you have like a like a display of actions and you resolve it from top to bottom, left to right, you know. Um but what I really thought was very interesting about it is all the actions are relating to buses. So it's like build, extend your route, uh, get a new bus, um, uh, add a new building to the route, add uh, new, 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 new passengers to the uh, stations. And then one of them is like, stop time. <laughs> That's the action. And it's not like vague. It's not like, oh, you do this to stop time. It's an actual time machine drawn on the board and <laughs> to use what? it you have to like take a time stone off of it which is worth negative one point at the end of the game it's just so funny because like all the other actions are just buses and then one of the action is like use a time machine <laughs> okay so, <laughs> first, so first of all you have no idea how much excited uh, excited i am to wait for this review to to listen to this review <laughs> It's a splotter game 
with a transportation engineering uh, theme, which is my profession. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the graphic design is actually very good for a splotter game. Yeah, because Capstone. Yeah, yeah because Capstone, Capstone exactly yeah. looks so nice. And the only bad thing that I have heard so far about this game is the time machine. Because <laughs> what is that? I mean, I was thinking... <laughs> No, it's, like, it's really funny I, uh, because, you know, like basically the idea is like every turn um, passengers either want to get, depending on the time of day, passengers either want to go to work or to the bar or home, right? So that's kind of the thing. So uh, what you can do is one person every turn can take that time machine spot and then they can choose to take a time stone. There's only like five or six, I can't remember. And they it's a negative point at the end of the game, which is a big deal because like I won the game with like... 10 points or nine points. Oh, okay. So negative one is a big deal. So minus one point and, um, and then basically stop time from progressing. So say two turns in a row, they'll go to the pub instead of going back home, you know? So that's kind of what it is. They wanted to implement that. And the way they came up with was time machine. <laughs> so oh I thought God. that was super funny. Um, so, it, so it's yeah, funny I, how- I can't wait to do a review on this one. It's funny how they resolve their problem, the game mechanic problem. Yeah. They realized that it was a fake world and they could just do whatever they wanted. So, uh, yeah. I was going to say the other game I played is Ra. Have you ever played this as a Knizia game? Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's so good. I was not expecting it's that. It's so po- good. I don't know why I didn't. But also do there's you know a, when new, you- a new edition. So it's like yeah, has, that's the one I, I played. The new beautiful edition, the, yeah, the chunky wood the, pieces, the blue uh, box. Yeah, Dima and I reviewed it on the episode where they came back, Dima and, and Byron, and you were you were away in Greece or London at the time. Sorry, oh. um, and we reviewed it actually because we played it pretty recently, like last year sometime. Uh, really liked it. It's a great game. Best part is chanting though. Ra, ra, ra. We did, a, we did have a, a blast with this. It was so good for a simple auctioning game. Uh, and the last thing we played, the, the last, the other thing I, want, like, I would like to mention is Mysterium. Which, you know, it's a mass market game now. It's based on Dixit, but it's more things added to this uh, mechanism. Uh, I like Mysterium. I, I think I didn't like Mysterium. I felt, okay. I mean, I had fun. Okay, so it's a, it's a good way to spend some time. But I was I realized I don't want to play it again. I felt that the mechanism is very good in Dixit, which is a very simple game. But it cannot take the silliness and the simplicity of the Dixit and add more things and make it a heavy a heavier game than Dixit. That, that's what I felt. What do you think? Uh, I like it. I think it's simple enough. I've played it with people who don't play board games and they get it pretty quick as long as an experienced person plays the ghost because if they don't, it can ruin very quickly. Um, I do think Mysterium, the screen is so much, it's a much better experience for the ghost as opposed to Tamanichi the Mostfo, the first version where you just had piles of cards for each player. So I, I think it's good. I don't think it replaces Dixit in any form. I think the only similarity is they have artwork on cards. So I don't, to me, I don't see like, oh, if you like Dixit, you'll like Mysterium. I don't feel like they're at all similar. Really? I feel like, 
Yeah, I feel like Dixit is about knowing the person, and Mysterium oh. is about more so the 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 artwork. Whereas with Dixit, it's more like what someone trying to do like an inside connection with somebody else so that only one person guesses it, right? That's the ideal situation. So that's how I play Dixit. Anyways, that's how I try. So for me, it feels completely different. It feels, I would, I would put Mysterium more akin to code names or to crypto than I would to Mysterium, even though you're using pictures instead of words. That's how, I mean, Mysterium is more akin to those. Whereas I feel like, Dixit is kind of it's it's like more like a like a I don't know <laughs> it's its own thing. Really. I I have to say that it's very streamlined. Very I mean the whole experience is very smooth. The components are great. It looks like a very uh, well developed game. Uh, but still, I don't think I want yeah. to play it again. It's not my cup of tea. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll tell you my worst experience with uh, Mysterium. Uh, I was playing with. Um, we were playing, I think, six people. And so I was the ghost. And then we had uh, Eugenio, Eugenio, Sergio, and uh, Diego. No, or Tomas, Tomas, sorry. And then also Lena, your wife, and uh, Vivian, was that her name? Yes. I can't remember who came. Yeah. So what happened is Sergio started speaking, Sergio and Eugenio started speaking Spanish and Tomas started speaking Spanish and they all started speaking Spanish to each other. So Lena, because she can get vindictive, <laughs> Lena's like, well, I'm just going to start speaking Greek. So she starts speaking Greek. Was Vivian Greek? I can't remember. Yeah, yes, she starts yes. speaking Greek to Vivian. And I'm sitting on the table. I don't know what anybody is saying. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess I'll just talk to myself. <laughs> What a wonderful experience. So, um, yeah, either play with a bunch of people who all speak the same language as you or play with people who don't speak the same language as each other. <laughs> well, that, That's my recommendation <laughs> for Mysterium. <laughs> um, speaking of ridiculous experiences, um, the day we played bus, after we played bus, we wanted to play something pretty quick. Um, Dima and I had to go, so we were at a friend's house. So we decided uh, we're going to play QE. Um, which is, and we played two games of it back to back. Uh, it's a pretty short game. It's called QE. It's from 2019 by Gavin Brinbaum. And I think it was a Kickstarter from board game tables. I'm not sure. Um, basically the people that did the factory funner Kickstarter, I think, I think it was them. And what is QE? Have you heard of this game, Epo? I think I have, I have seen the box. I'm not sure about it. Yes. So my, in my head, my first for QE goes to like the ship, the QE1, the QE2. That's where my head goes. But uh, I guess that that's because I don't work in government because what QE actually is, is quantitative, 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 <laughs> hold on, quantitative <laughs> easing, right? Which that's, is- Okay, the, wait, wait, you, that, that's not a word, right? <laughs> quantitative easing which is what happens in real life when governments print money to inject into the economy so basically that's usually how governments respond to certain amounts of inflation but if they print too much it can re result in hyperinflation right so it's kind of a delicate balance it's about printing enough cash to sort of balance it with the economy without going too far to make inflation worse, right? And it's it's a whole science and math in itself. 
this game is not that serious <laughs> at all. The name sounds so serious, like quantitative easing. I guess that's why they went with QE instead. Um, and I think after playing it twice, I can call it a game in quotation marks, right? Um, I think more than a game, it is a satire of, uh, of how governments respond to economic change and inflation. Uh, the basic idea of the game is you go around, we were playing a five-player game, uh, so it's three rounds, um, and everybody basically has a turn as the auctioneer every round. And so you're basically you're auctioning 15 times. So uh, Sorry, 18, 18 times. So six times three. No, we were five. 15 times. So 15, 15, there's a five players, three rounds. That's 15 auctions. They basically, they take a card, they flip it off top of the deck, whatever it is. It has a number, it has an industry, and it has a country or region that it's related to. And they put it down on the table. They take a piece of, it's all dry erase. They write a number that they're oh. willing to pay for it. And they put it face up, kind of like estate style. Everybody else then, writes a number that they're willing to pay for it and hands it face down to the auctioner. The auctioner takes it up and says who won, but not uh, how wow. much they paid. Oh, my yeah. God. And it could be them if everyone bids lower, right? Which is possible because you can bid zero. The thing about this game is you don't have any money. You can bid whatever you want, Okay. <laughs> All right, so money is not a thing that you keep track of in the game in terms of that. But how, how does that um, work? Great question. So, what you're doing is you're collecting sets. You're collecting certain colors. You're collecting certain industries, certain regions, and you're marking them off on your big old player board. It's also dry erase. But when you when you spend money, the they write on the back of the person who who was the auctioneer writes how much you bid to win on the back of the token that you won. At the end, we flip over all our tokens and we add all that money together. And whoever spends the most is out of the game. Oh. See, oh. that's there. therein lies the magic. Now, in the first game we played, just to show you how quickly things get out of control, <laughs> bid started at $10. That was the first bid. And by the end of the game, it was in the hundreds of millions, right? Because <laughs> somebody bids 10, then somebody bids 400. Then the next time somebody goes, well, you know, like, oh, and you also have another thing where one time per game, you can cross off something on your board and look at the winning bid. So like, let's say me and you uh. were playing you won it, and then Dima was like, I want to see what you paid for that because I know I bid a lot, so I want to know what you bid. And when you do that, you're always shocked because it's like <laughs> you bid like 10,000, you know, and the other person bid like 50 million. <laughs> so basically, there's this like undercurrent of people upping the price. Um, and at first it feels stupid. It feels like, why is why is this guy going to 5,000, 20,000, 25,000 when the rest of us are bidding in the hundreds. But all it takes is one other person to start bidding there. And then all of a sudden, you're out of the game if you don't bid that high. Because let's say you start bidding crazy and then I start bidding crazy. Only one of us is going to lose. So the other players, if they don't start winning stuff, they're out of the game. Yes. I just need you to bid more than me. <laughs> to you need to be, yeah, because you need to be second. You cannot be lower than that. That's right. 
That's oh my right. God. So in the second game, we're like, okay, we're going to avoid this craziness. And bidding started straight up in the millions. And it ended in the quintillions. <laughs> how, how, quintillion. How did, you, how did you even write I don't, that w- amount? Like, uh, like, like 4Q. <laughs> oh, my God. But then we learned that quadrillion and quintillion both start with Q, so we need to be wary of that. Um <laughs> Basically, <laughs> that's what happens. Okay. Um, <laughs> that, that's the only uh, game with, that, do with that problem. Yeah, it's its own problem. But um, basically, I. Uh, the point is, as long as, if you spend four quintillion, you could will probably win the game as long as one other person spent four quintillion and won. You know what I mean? So, like, everybody then needs to start spending because they're never going to win any cards if they don't spend, and that's how inflation happens. So it feels like a satire of world economy. And um, I don't know how accurate it is. I'm not an economist. I'd love to talk to an economist about that. But it was a very interesting experience. We played it twice. I'm probably good for like the next few years to play that game. It wasn't so much a fun game because you feel like you're shooting in the dark, but the first time you play it, it's awesome because because of like, you're not ready for how quickly inflation. <laughs> because it's like a social experiment, basically. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so that's what I would, my end of the day, like recommendation would be for QE is it's worth playing a couple times. Um, I don't know if it's worth, it's not going to be something that hits the table very often because now that I get it, I know that I should spend pretty aggressively early on because no matter how aggressive I get, it's going to go higher. <laughs> That's just the nature of humans. Uh, how, so, um, how many auctions are in the game? 15. Well, Fif- in oh. the five-player game, it was 15. It was five players, three rounds. And each was, player is the auctioneer three times. So. Was the last auction always the highest? The highest bid was the last most bid. of the time. Yes, yeah. So like the first in the second game I won, the first token I won was like the third token that went for sale, and I got it for eighteen million. And then I spent at one point because I really was I really wanted. I spent, um, <laughs> I spent five hundred trillion, five hundred trillion, right? To win two, so I ended with like three tokens, which is okay. If you get three, it means you're about equal with most people. And I wasn't even close to the highest spender because the last round, the last two rounds, Dima basically spent, you know, a quintillion each time. You know what I mean? Like she. <laughs> I mean, but the idea for this game is genius. Like. Yes. Unbelievable. It's okay. something to experience for sure. Um, and it's definitely one of those things that like, let's say you came to visit and you came to join me for game day and Chang brought out QE because it was Chang's game. I would be like, oh, let's play this because I want you to experience it, you know? But so that's the time that I can see it come out is when you introducing new people to it, it'd be a great, funny, interesting social experiment, but not so much a game yeah per se you know um but i enjoyed it um and uh i recommend trying it and playing it but i don't necessarily recommend going out and buying it unless you can get it for pretty cheap and like 
you're not, you know, it, it'll sit on your shelf for a long time between plays is what I'm saying. So um, it, it's like in the same category with the mind, right? Yes. And I mean, I feel like the mind gets played quite a lot, um, but you're right. It gets played with different groups. I'd say the mind is more likely to get played with more groups. So the mind, I've played it with gamer groups, played it with you. I've played it with uh, the Qatar group. I've played it here. I've played it with a group here. I've played it with another couple friends who are not gamers. I've played it with my parents. I've played it, you know, oh. I've played it with my friends when they come to visit. I would only play this with people that are familiar with auction games. Like, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pull this out and be like, hey, mom, dad, you want to play this game? Like, I don't think they'd enjoy it. So, okay, but uh, so get... the mind still would get played more. Yeah, but it was a good idea that you played the mind with your parents. I can play the mind with my parents. That's a brilliant idea. Yeah. Okay, that, uh, uh, this is very interesting. This, uh, I I mean, for sure I'm going to check the group if anybody has this game and we... Hamad might have this game. Anyway, okay. Uh, very excited, very excited about this. Uh, so, let's go to my experience. Uh, so, if the listeners are uh, over, uh, I want to say, 50 years old, they don't need to, to listen <laughs> To this because they know the the game of diplomacy, which is a very well known game, I guess. Uh, started no, basically first published in 1959. Uh, the Avalon Hill uh, release is in 1999, and the designer is Alan Kalhammer, which is dead by now, of course, <laughs> <laughs> and. I felt that it's it it needs a review because I played it a lot uh, the last two weeks, and uh, it needs to be reintroduced to new players and younger players, I guess. So the game, uh, basically, uh, for the listeners that they don't know the game, the game board is a map of the early twentieth century. Uh, the map of Europe in the early 20th century, divided into 19 sea regions and 56 land regions. 34 of them are important because they're uh, the supply centers, so if you occupy one of them, you're going to get more armies in the game. Each player plays a major power of the era, so Austria-Hungary, the Ottoman Empire, Italy, England, France, Russia, Germany. And each nation has three units only in the board. Each unit, so the, the mechanism is very simple. Each unit can move one space at a time and it can go into neighboring regions. But when two units try to move to the same space, neither moves. And this is where the support element comes in. This means that any unit neighboring the region that is your destination, it can provide support and then you can move to that space. If The defender, of course, has not uh, doesn't have any support uh, herself. So the goal of the game is to supply 18 of the 34 uh, supply centers to win the game. And the whole idea is that with only three units bouncing to other units, the only way to achieve something in this game is by having support from other players. And this incredibly simple mechanism provides the cause for hours 
and hours of negotiations and alliances. And because it's a very long day, very long game, after several hours, it causes also backstabbing because at some point you need to backstab your uh, ally <laughs> and become the only winner. So that's the game. And there are several cons and pros. I mean, I, I don't think I have ever uh, filled a page, A4 page with cons and pros in a game. And <laughs> I guess this shows the age of the game because we're talking again about a, a game of 1959. And at that time, they were mainly playing the game by mail. So because the moves in the game are happening at the same time, they all reveal their moves. You're writing on a paper and then you reveal the moves uh, at the same time altogether. Uh, what was happening is that there were uh, magazines receiving the moves, the orders from the players, and the magazines were publishing every, I don't know, every month, every week, the outcome and the players were communicating with each other by mail so you're writing dear uh, sir uh, i don't know dear uh, king honorable king of uh, the ottoman empire or whatever <laughs> and you were writing okay i will i will appreciate your help into achieving uh, an advance in italy this uh, winter and things like that so there's a, a huge history of uh, turn-based, uh, uh, you know, slow games, not uh, uh, games where everybody's gathering uh, next to a table and playing the game. And, mm -hmm. and I want to say that the, the bad elements of the design, not, not necessarily bad, but in modern-day design, we consider them, uh, you know, cons, let's say, is that... You have eliminated players at some point of the game because only one wins. So if you gather all around, somebody's eliminated, he has to do something else while waiting for the other players to finish the game. And we're talking about a game that is taking like eight or nine hours. So that's another uh, con. The third uh, problem with the game is that it needs space. So if you only have a uh, a table and uh, chairs is not enough because people need to go to a corner and discuss with each other so if you play it in a uh, restaurant or in a coffee shop or in a small place you cannot do it, you need more space the the fourth problem <laughs> with, the, with the game is that you need seven players exactly to actually enjoy the game, the game is made for seven players. You can play it. There are variants that we can play with six or five, but there are gaps on the map that uh, don't really make sense. And the last problem mentioned uh, and uh, connected with this game is the psychological toll that people say that <laughs> come with the people backstabbing you after six or seven hours of play where you they look in your eyes and say i'm your ally forever we're gonna be forever <laughs> allies and 
it feels it it, it feels so bad at least the first time <laughs> and people are in shock i uh, uh, we have a, a new game group now that we're trying to uh, gather people playing diplomacy and we were trying to play it online because that's the way that most people are playing diplomacy nowadays but it's very hard to teach the game online so we decided to have a a session uh, face to face and it was so interesting to see the shock in the face of people backstabbed in <laughs> in Iran where you know for like one just one hour people were telling them oh we're allies we're gonna do this this and that and at some point no okay now I'm gonna <laughs> go I'm gonna go to the to the pros um okay so simplicity you only have three units you just write the orders they move to uh, from this region to the next region there are only two types of units only armies and fleets the armies are in the land the fleets are in uh, the sea and coastal areas so everything is simple uh, the third thing and probably one of, of most important things the the reason to to play diplomacy is that it's a game that creates memories so you're gonna remember that oh that guy did me that that day and then we uh, allied with Turkey and Italy was uh, supposed to be with us but in the end he backstabbed Turkey and uh, France came from behind and we couldn't do anything and especially the first France time you being... always comes from behind <laughs> <laughs> so the first yeah the, the knife comes from behind I guess um, Julius Caesar so the first time you and the, being... and the French <laughs> the first time you're being backstabbed, uh, it's something you always remember, at least with every diplomacy <laughs> player I have talked in my life, they, they remember that. And the uh, the online gaming resolves many of the cons of this game, such as the time element. So uh, in the online game, you, have a, you can do one... Uh, uh, turn per two days so you have two days to discuss exchange texts texts are very much in fashion nowadays you have whatsapp you have so so many apps that you can communicate with each other there are websites that are actually having their own chat modes where you can chat with other uh, uh, players uh, Again, it's also it's the online gaming is also resolving the problem of space, the constraint of space because you don't you everybody can communicate with freely with all the other players. Also, the elimination problem: if I get eliminated, I continue my day. It's not like I have to stay <laughs> and see and see the other players just continuing with their game. Uh, and I feel it's a must for every hobby gamer they all should at least once try to uh, play this game and it's like uh, it reminds me of, of what you said about QE that you need to play it at least once because it's such an experience I mean 
I I don't know if I would recommend a lot of people to play diplomacy though. I think I think it it requires a certain level of thickness of the skin, right? Like uh I don't know. I'm I mean, I didn't I've had a lot of very bad experiences. Yes. Um with other people like just getting mad in a game where you're supposed to attack each other like it's you know or backstab each other it's kind of the basis of the game and you try to make that clear but as clear as you make that people still get upset when they've because oftentimes either it's a trust issue or sometimes it just feels like you've been outsmarted and that hurts it hurts yeah. um i remember when we played subterfuge which was an app version of this game it's basically diplomacy it just with a little more complication to it, but um, you play it over the app, but the main concept is the same, which is orders take time to be implemented. You have alliances and you attack each other. And when um, uh, Byron and AK had made a plan and they were allied with me, um, Byron had this plan to attack Ricardo, but he wasn't aware that you had already allied with Ricardo and Mo and, um, he talked to you about the plan and you basically told Ricardo, there was some confusion, but basically Ricardo got him and not just thwarted the attack, but really messed him up. And then he just kind of left the game in frustration. And so did AK because AK lost a lot too. And then I was left basically holding the bag of, you know, what was one side of an alliance because the other two were like, I got, I got hit pretty bad too, but I kept playing, you know what I mean? And like, that's just kind of the nature of the game is you have to accept that sometimes you're going to lose stuff and sometimes people are going to stab you in the back. And I do think that there are many people I would just say, don't play this game because um, they're just going to feel sad through most <laughs> of it. And, uh, and I, I, <laughs> I don't know. So I wouldn't say everyone should try it at least once. I would say if we, you heard all this and it still sounds like fun to you, maybe go for it. Um, and also if you're able to not take shit too seriously, go for it. Because if you attach emotions too much to this, it, it can get ugly fast. I know you had a story where your uh, cousin... Uh, two no two brothers or someone yes. stop speaking to each other for for yeah. for a while after playing a game of diplomacy and that's nuts it's a game <laughs> like it doesn't they were not speaking should, for cause that they were not speaking to each other for one week and they they were not yeah. uh, playing board games together for six months that's crazy that's because it, because me. it feels like real uh you know uh betrayal betrayal yeah it feels like that. Uh, but as I grow older, I feel I can handle this. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe you... play with older people. <laughs> <laughs> or be prepared. Uh, yeah. The other thing that happens in these games is that there is a meta gaming uh, where if uh, I betray you in one game, you're going to remember it, of course, in the next game. And you're going to be very cautious about aligning with me again. That's the so, best part, though. <laughs> that's my that's, favorite part. So I don't like this. And I love that. I, I love it. What I love is that this website w where we're playing is that you know the other six players that you're playing with, but you don't know uh, what nation 
uh, is its player. It's randomly assigned by the website. So how, how do you negotiate? So you negotiate as, uh, let's say, Austrian against uh, the Russian. You're texting the Russians. Oh, so you can't like text the... each other. You just text through the app, through the website. Yes, exactly. You, you text okay. through the, the website. So you're texting the Russian. Uh, uh, of course, when we meet, we can discuss about it. But, yeah. I, uh, but you know, yesterday we met and I said, guys, let's not discuss about it. Let's leave it as it is. <laughs> Because I don't want the bias, to be honest. I want to yeah. know. Yeah, it, it's gonna feel, and <laughs> it's funny because people are saying, "Okay, but I can tell that uh, you are that country because uh, of the way you are texting, and what you're saying, yeah. and because I know you." And so, a friend of mine, Adel, was saying that, you know, I'm changing personalities in every game, so people cannot <laughs> cannot <laughs> understand who who am I. And I was thinking, this is like a I new level, like a, a new layer of <laughs> meta gaming that I like actually, and I want to try. So this I was mean, fair enough. If you want to try that, go for it. I I don't know if I would be on the same page as you. I mean, I, if you want to stay blind to who everyone is, that's completely fine. I just I if if you want to know the truth, I think people already know in your group who some like people are. I think some people in your group are probably already yeah. in discussions outside of the game. Oh. So you're kind of crippling yourself in some extent, but like you said, it's a game. It's not real. Who cares? Like, <laughs> it's fine. I, I have a cool story about diplomacy, if you'd like. Um, uh, so when I was in, in, in high school, I was doing, I was in the IB program, International Baccalaureate. And it's a very interesting program. But there is a course in that class called Theory of Knowledge, T-O-K, where you study like how people think, which is awesome. Um, and uh, our Theory of Knowledge teacher was the same as our history teacher for that year, Mr. Paulson, oh. Eric Paulson, one of my favorite professors ever. Uh, so for the first part of T-O-K, we studied like different kinds of thinking and reasoning. Uh, we Then we studied chess for several months where we would talk about like that stuff. And then throughout the year in, in a history class, one thing we were doing, like other than learning about history, like in the last 10 minutes of each class, we were building this massive wall floor to, to, to ground edge to edge map of the world where we were basically drawing in the countries and like labeling them and their capitals and so on. And so our class over the course of like two semesters built a massive wall to wall, floor to ceiling map of the world. And then what happened is at the end of the year, the last few weeks, Paulson decided to set up in TOK class, a game that we would play using that board where every three or four of us were playing one nation. Right. And it was the most amazing game in the world. And there was betrayal and backstabbing and you would put in your orders. And I later figured out that it was diplomacy, but adapted to a board of the world rather than just Europe. It was the same rule set as diplomacy. And we played it and we loved it. And we thought it was the best thing that ever happened in class. And to the point that at the end of the year, me and my friends, nerds in the making, asked Paulson if we could have the map. And he's like, yeah, like we're done with it. And we took the maps, rolled them up, 
brought him to my house in Kumasi, which was like four hours away, four and a half hours away, because it was the only house that was big enough that we had a wall to put up the maps. And we played it in our free time, this game that Mr. Paulson created, which turned out to be diplomacy. So that's my first ever experience with diplomacy. And it was basically with a class of like 25 to 30 people. And it was this epic negotiation strategy thing that lasted weeks. And since then, no game of diplomacy has lived up to it. And that's kind of like, yeah. But didn't feel people uh, betrayed that game. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. And and uh, and so, for example, I I was me and my friends, a couple of friends. We were Germany, right? And as we were playing the game, one day we wanted to play. Everyone was there, ready to play the after class, after school. Uh, we were staying extra time to play this game to think and plan and strategize. And Paulson couldn't make it, so he's like, "Elias, I trust you." Um, you play my group, Italy. Like you, 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 you're instead. You, you play instead of me, uh, just for that time. And so I do that, and he's like, and then when I come back, you take over Germany. The next day, I walk into class, and he's like, Elias, what did you do? Because I basically handicapped. Well, the time he handed over Italy to me, I handicapped him on every front that we shared. So <laughs> he gave, he gave it, he took the reins again. Basically, Germany could dominate Italy at will, and that was my master plan. Was a master stroke of betrayal to my own professor. Uh, so that was uh, fun. But I absolutely love. I mean, that was such a great experience that. With so many people, it was basically a mega game. You know what I mean? It had so yes. many people. And we all sort of had roles within our governments. Like, we, we we made them up. But, you know, like, people that would tie break stuff when needed. Like, this person will decide placement. This person will decide on alliances. And, you know, like, and it was just, it was amazing. <laughs> and uh, I don't think that it has ever, I've ever had a diplomacy game that has touched yeah. that since then. So, um, but an amazing experience nonetheless. So it can make for a phenomenal experience. Um, but I would say there's half the class that probably had a bad time. And then there was us future board gamers who were like, this is amazing. Mr. Paulson <laughs> is a genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. I get it now. There you go. So that's my story about my first ever game of diplomacy. And that was diplomacy. You sound so excited about it. I mean, I'm still playing it, and I'm uh, the game master in one game. The game master can see all the uh, the chats and all the mm. orders and every. It's like the god. Uh, but you don't actually have a country, right? No, no, not in not in that game. Yeah. So I enjoy even even that. That's cool. That's cool. Um, all right. Well, I'm glad you're finding. Uh, new new life and an older game uh speaking of that uh i've been playing the newer version of clinic deluxe edition um the original version came out in 2014 the deluxe edition came out in 2019 i got it from kickstarter um it's by albin viard and av studio games i got it off kickstarter artwork by ian o'toole on this latest version the basic idea of the game and I've played this now multiple times at two players and three players. It plays two to four or one to four, but I've not played one or four. 
So I'm just going to go through the basic idea of the game. People tell me if I'm making any sense or because it's a very dense game. It's the guy who did Tramways and Small City and games. Like oh, that, that so, guy. Um, that guy, your favorite guy in the world. <laughs> um, so I, uh, the game is played in six rounds and every round you each get three actions. And uh, basically you have six tokens two of each type of action. So two build tokens, two hire tokens, and two admit tokens. So in a round of of three actions, you can do a maximum of two of one type of action, and you're doing three actions total. So what you do is you pick one of the three actions, you put it face down on your board, everyone reveals simultaneously, and the actions are resolved in that order, in turn order. So first build actions in turn order, hire actions in turn order, and then admit actions in turn order. Um, so that's the game, and you're doing 18 actions. That's the entire game. When you go to the build section, you can build your hospital. So, so sorry, is there one hospital, or each one has its own hospital? Each one has their own clinic, yeah. So okay. each one has their own medical center that they're working on. Um, and basically, uh, the build action, you can, uh, you're building um, the ho- your hospital. So you're paying for things on certain floors, and there's multiple floors. So you, it's it's a... You have to think about it in multiple dimensions, right? So um, you're building facility, treatment rooms, you're building gardens, car parks, very important to deal with because we haven't built the tramways yet. So nobody's using public transport. So everyone's driving over, all your employees and all the, the patients. Uh, you're building all sorts How of- How does the third direction work in the in the game? Like, okay, I can understand if you, if you build 2D, okay, but 3D? So think of the 2D, instead of like, it's a grid, right? So just think of a grid, like a four by three grid. But instead of it being, you know, so the horizontal lines, the top and the bottom are perpendicular, straight like that, but it's leaned to the side, like a parallelogram. Ah, okay. So the, the vertical lines are leaned to the side, parallelogram. And then like there's a gap and then another floor with the same concept and then you can keep adding floors so your baseboard the, has two floors and you can you can add three more floors so so it gives you the perspective of 3d exactly and that way you can tell which pieces on top of which piece and then which pieces on interesting um, on the same floor and you're building all sorts of entryways and you're building like uh basically ways to move around like basically think of them as escalators or or whatever um and or teleporting machines <laughs> or whatever you want to think about the mess. Um, and then that's what you're doing in the building phase, building action. The higher action is you're hiring doctors, you're hiring nurses, and you're hiring um, orderlies. Orderlies reduce your overall cost um, to manage the place. Uh, nurses basically adjust your doctor's level. So there's four levels, white, yellow, white, yellow, orange, and red. And Basically, white doctors have to treat white patients. Yellow doctors have to treat yellow patients. Oh, wait, wait, wait. wait, the severity. Okay, this is very racist. Very racist, (laughs) correct, yes. Orange (laughs) patients have to to be treated by orange doctors. But it's not like, okay, so orange is the third, is the second highest level of, 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 it's like the third most severe condition or the third highest, second highest level of doctor. But it's not like orange can also treat yellow and white. Orange doctors only treat orange patients because they don't do general medicine. You know, they do their specialty. <laughs> That's kind of the thinking of it. Okay, it makes but sense. But a nurse allow, allows you to adjust that. So if you have one nurse, an orange patient can treat 
an orange doctor can treat a patient that's more severe or less severe by one. So an orange doctor could treat a red patient or a yellow patient. If there's two oh. nurses, they can treat anyone. So um, nurses sort of adjust the level of the doctors. So nurses are very important. Extremely. I actually had one nurse in the last game we built. You, you can work around that, uh, and I'll explain how. But basically, you get these doctors and um, nurses and uh, and uh, orderlies, and you put them in your hospital. They all come with cars because they drive to work, so you got to have garage space to fit them all. And then the last section is where you admit patients. So there's like patients that are coming. And they can be manipulated to go between like the conditions that they have. So you can move a patient from like ophthalmology to cardiology, right? And then basically you're drafting these patients off of this grid and then you're adding them to your pre-admissions area where they will eventually get treated. At the end of the three actions, so the end of the round, you, you do a few things where you're moving your doctors and your patients into the hospital. And the more they have to move, the more time it takes. And the more time you take, the more negative points you're getting at the end of the game. Oh. So you're minimizing the amount of time it takes to get to the various parts of your hospital. And then you go about treating your patients so you make money. Then you have to pay your doctors, your nurses, your orderlies. You have to pay for the spaces that you have, certain things like gardens while they increase the cost. Uh, they increase the amount you get paid for treating patients because they have a treatment room with a garden view. Uh, there are also costs oh. to keep up. You know, uh, Surgery rooms have a certain amount of cost that you need to pay per round uh, and stuff like that. And there's special rooms like surgery rooms. There's rooms like outpatient uh, clinics where you can treat any patient with any doctor, but you get less money because they're not staying in the hospital. It's a quicker treatment procedure. Um, then there's things like uh, the lab where you can upgrade your doctors by sending them to the lab. So instead of treating a patient, the doctor is doing research for that round. And so they get better, more specialties, right? More specialized. Um, and yeah, and then... What happens is you treat all your patients, they get removed. Any patients that are still sitting in your pre-admissions area get worse. And if they were already at red, they get worse and they die. And that's minus like six points or eight points or something, or five points, something, it's a lot of points. Um, and you don't ever want that to happen. Which makes sense um, because you don't want the people to die in your pre-admission area. It makes, it makes very logical sense. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then, yeah, and then you just do some cleanup stuff and then you play another round. I've missed a bunch of stuff. I'm not trying to teach the game here. The point is, um, so it's a great game. I really enjoy it. Um, and Carol, who hated tramways to the point that like, he was leaving the table between his turns. And then when he would come back, he'd be like, okay, what do I do? And then we would just be like, I guess you could do this. And then he'd do it. And then he'd leave again. Like he had a horrible time. So trying to get him to play clinic was like a chore in itself, but he agreed to it and he loved it. And I was so excited because I'm glad to hear that he hasn't like ruled out everything this designer's ever done. Um, and, and an interesting concept in the game, which we played around with a lot is as you can imagine, if a patient has a worse condition and you treat them, you get more money for that, right? Oh, uh, uh, yes. Um, I, have, I have read about it in the Board Game Geek, the moral yes. uh, dilemma. About <laughs> <laughs> so a strategy began to arise where we would 
get patients and then allow them to ripen, if you will, or <laughs> age. <laughs> they would become a juicier fruit, fruit to pluck and, uh, and uh, take it. And that reminded me of viticulture, right? Because in viticulture, you're uh -huh. like aging your wine so that it becomes better. Oh, I thought you were going to gonna say that, that we were this reminded you of QE because it's another satirical comment in modern society. As well, as well, <laughs> as well. That's that's true. Thank you. You're, you're one mean, step you ahead of me. But do you think that the de designer did it on purpose or it was like, because it's, it really doesn't make sense, right? I think, I, no, it does make sense. It makes sense that patients get worse every turn, I think. I, but untreated patients, right? Like, yeah, but, but it does it make sense to, to hit? for the clinic to have a strategy to leave the people get worse in order to get more money. Yes. Because so if you don't time it, it right. Happened. So the first game I ever, the first game I ever played of this, I tried to do that, but I was not ready for the fact that doctors who are not in labs drop a level every turn. So they're exhausted. So their level of capability drops. So you need to keep your doctors trained um, or get a bunch of nurses. And I wasn't ready for that. And I lost a patient. And I could never recover from that. So I do think it's not like a, a game without risks, especially if you're not used to the game. So I think I think it's very intentional that you're supposed to age or ripen your patients to juicy <laughs> prospects. And it just reminded me, that part reminded me of viticulture. And then we started talking about ripening patients. And that really reminded me of viticulture. And then... I started looking at the fact that Viticulture Essential Edition and the first version of Clinic both came out in 2014. Coincidence? Or are they the same game? Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but basically... <laughs> I was going to say that this proves the opposite, that uh, there's, <laughs> there are different games. Because if, you, if you're telling me that it was like five years after, I would say, okay, someone copied no, no. the other. There's a conspiracy in the making and I will oh. unravel it. I'm working on it. I have, I have pictures printed out and I bought some string from Amazon and I'm going to start pinning things to the board and connecting them with string. And I'm sure we'll find out that viticulture and essential and clinic are the same game, but yeah, no. So obviously like you could treat it like that. You could kind of treat it like a farming game or whatever, where you're allowing things to, to become more valuable by leaving them for a longer period of time. Um, it's not necessary, I think, to win. Um, you could just have the most flexibility and go first or have the most um, flexibility in admitting patients and just get the most valuable patients and treat them right away. Like I, I didn't really age patients very much, but Carol's entire strategy was aging his patients or ripening them. So I do think it's very funny. I do think it's also very satirical, uh, but I think the game is great. I think there's a lot of heavy decisions. Um, if I'm comparing it to uh, Tramways, which I would because it's the same designer, but in no way the same game, I still, by a very slight margin, prefer Tramways, but that's because I love how punishing Tramways is. Like, I love that if you mess up one auction, um, you're punished for the whole game. And like, you have to play an almost perfect game to do well. Um, there's more flexibility with this game. There's ways back. Uh, there's no single moment in the game where it feels like, oh, I should have, you know, got this patient here. And if I didn't, I'm done. And there's also scoring for like 
different kinds of building that you can do. So you can sort of, if somebody sort of is dominating the nurse game or the, the number of patients, you can sort of switch to like a construction game. And I do think there's a lot of flexibility. It's fun. It's fun trying to guess what other players are going to do, which actions they're going to take and seeing and being like, well, they go ahead of me in turn order. So I want to make sure that I don't go on the same turn because I don't want them to pick patients before I do, or I don't want them to, to, to whatever it is. So I, I, I think, I think it's a very solid game. It's going to stay in my collection. The theme is great. I've worked in healthcare for, I've worked in healthcare for, a very long time and my wife Dima still works in, in healthcare and um, there are a lot of themes from healthcare that run through it. It's not completely devoid of theme. Um, what did, yeah, what did Dima say about the game? And she the loves theme? it. She loves it. She absolutely loves, uh, she, she definitely prefers it to tramways. And I think Carol would agree with that. Um, and everyone that's tried it has liked it so far in two and three player settings. So, but um, if you compare yeah. it with Viticulture though, is it comparable? Uh, it's, it's a much better game, I would say, uh, than Viticulture. So in a sense, their worker placement, well, well, clinic is action selection and Viticulture is a worker placement game, which in essence is an action selection game. Um, and they both do have different phases. So like clinic has like the build phase happens before the hire happens before the admit and viticulture has, you know, the summer season uh, and the winter season. And then, and they both have like the aging of things to make them more valuable, but viticulture is, it's a simpler game. I get it to the table with more people. It's shorter. It's uh it's more friendly in terms of theme. Uh, people enjoy it. Um, and I think if your 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 comfort level is around like I still have viticulture by the way and 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 it's a great game and and I think if your comfort level is around like medium heavy euro you would always prefer viticulture to to clinic but if you like a game that can be a little bit more like all right I'm going to have to plan three turns ahead and I'm going okay. to have to come up with multiple like variations in case somebody does certain things i'm gonna have to like pivot my strategy and like sort of having a long-term strategy but like tactical wherewithal to shift i think clinic is much better than viticulture in that regard it's a deeper game but not as friendly a game so they both have their value and because i tend to prefer deeper games i prefer clinic but they both have their place in my collection and i like them very much um yeah so i would recommend clinic i would highly recommend clinic and I think Ian O'Toole did a phenomenal job of using graphic design to simplify what would be an otherwise even more complicated game. So I would like to give credit to him and of course to the designer. But this is at bare minimum in the eights out of 10. Some people would go higher. Um, I might if I played a bit more, um, but I, I do think that it's excellent. And uh, I would highly, highly recommend Clinic Deluxe Edition. Um, it's the way to go. If you want a game about uh, aging patients and uh, <laughs> plucking them from the edge of death for money, cold hard cash. <laughs> <laughs> okay, excellent. I don't know what else to say. I want to play this game too. I want to try it. Yeah, man. I think you'd like it actually. I think we'd have a great time. Um, and speaking of things that you'd like, uh, I believe 
It's time for the Hippocratic Corner. Yeah. Okay, the, the sound effects are going uh, worse every time. Yes, uh, I think we need to just stop them. And uh, <laughs> uh, welcome to the Hippocratic Corner. This is the 40. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to do this again if this is the 44th Hippocratic Corner and whatnot. I just want to say before going to our uh, traditional top five that today, actually this morning, I received a, a, an email from Board Game Arena and they were informing me that they fixed a bug that I, uh, uh, I think I told them that there's uh in uh, in their in one of their games and that game the that game with the bug is expedition northwest passage so i don't know if you remember when we last played expedition northwest passage i couldn't remember so i searched <laughs> and i registered this report about the bug in 12th of january 2017 Oh my god. So so it took them 7 years and 4 days to <laughs> complete the task of fixing the bug which was the sled the sled uh Expedition Northwest Passage is a a game where you trying to find the Northwest Passage uh, over north of Canada from the Atlantic to the Pacific if I'm not uh, Yeah, I found um, it. I wrong. found it. That's what <laughs> <laughs> and the bug was that the sled couldn't move on an authorized tile that was the the bug gotcha so i don't i don't know if for seven years the sled couldn't move in a, in a, in that tile but uh i don't know i mean they fixed it so i remember I you set up an, an an expedition northwest passage tournament and that's when we found oh, the bug oh fuck Uh, do you remember that? Um, and I want to point out yes. that because of that tournament on Expedition Northwest Passage, BGA, I have, and so on BGA, not in real life, I have seven games of Northwest Passage played and 100% victory rate. So, uh, really? Come at me. No way. <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, that because of that game, uh, because actually of the tournament, you stopped like. Playing Correct. I traded it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens in me when you make me play a game too much. That's why I don't like doing it. it. Just, it I'm it, done with it. It became yeah. too much. <laughs> okay, so moving to our uh, top five for today. It's uh, today's top five is uh, world top five worlds in board games. I mean, you so, can be a bit more excited about it, like just. Kind of <laughs> give it that oomph, you know what I mean? I was so, excited yes, about yes, it I when know, you picked it. I know that you were excited, and I want to say that I was not excited, but <laughs> I understand that this, it's a very interesting topic. It's not my kind of top five because because uh, I'm not I'm not playing a lot of theme immersive games. I like RPGs. I like I like RPGs. I have played two campaigns of Dungeons and Dragons. That's all. Okay, but there were long campaigns, 
and I really like them. So I feel that I'm not the right person to talk about uh, top five, but maybe I'm the right person because I share because there are people out there that share a similar taste with me, meaning that there are people more interested in the mechanisms of the game and less interested in the world that comes with the game. So my top five could be actually the best five worlds in good games tied to an extremely interesting world. That's interesting. What do you think? What, what were... What, uh, what do, what I, I didn't factor in that? how good the game was. Uh, so for me, it was uh, just about like the worlds. Um, so the one thing I, I thought of is like, I didn't want it to be like an IP. So like Dune, for example, that's a great IP, but like, it's not a board game IP. If it started as a board game and then became others, that's fine. But I wanted it to have started. And uh, and then the other thing I was thinking is like, I don't want it to be like this world, right? So if the theme is just, you know, this world, that's not going to be there. And I wanted to feel, I wanted it to feel like present in the board game, not just like described at the beginning of the rule book. And then you didn't feel it, but I didn't think so much about like, I mean, most of these games are pretty good that I have on my list. Like let's say all of them or maybe all but one, but it's not like, it's not like, Oh, you know, what is a good, but, but we do have very different opinions. Like I tend to like more like, um, not thematic games. It doesn't matter to me, but I love theme. Like it doesn't have to be present in the game. In fact, I don't mind if it just exists separate from the game. I kind of just like to read about theme and, oh. and like learn about it. I just, that's how I looked at it. Like the theme is cool. It's interesting. When I play the game, I feel like I'm in that world. That's it. But um, yeah. And uh, yeah. So that's kind of how I ranked them. It wasn't necessary, but like the way I ranked them was like, was there kind of a story present? Um, it doesn't have to be one that was written out. It could be. It could also be one that's oh. being written out by our playing of the game. Um, and it was like a world rather than a setting. So there are games like Noria or like uh, Lagoon Land of Druids, which have amazing worlds, but they're a setting. The game doesn't actually feel like you could set Noria in Amsterdam and it would probably be fine. Um you could set Lagoon Lands of Druid in like uh, botanical gardens and <laughs> it would be fine. Like you would just change exactly. a few things thematically. So that's kind of how I ranked it. But yeah, that's my that's my thing. But I think we'll have different lists because of that. Because uh, we do, we do, whilst we love very similar games on theme, I think we value or weigh it differently. So. It's fun. It's fun that I was thinking exactly the same what you said about Noria. That it's the setting and it could be anywhere. So this uh, makes a difference. So I want mm. the theme to be interconnected with uh, the mechanisms of the game. Yeah. I also totally agree that uh, I uh, avoided any, uh, let's say, IPs or pre-existing yeah. worlds in general, like Star Wars or the. World of the Rings, uh, and even uh, this world of mine. This which world of mine, other, yeah, which it was is a, a video game. Which is a vid, was a video game, and otherwise it, it would have been in my top five because it's an excellent game. Uh, and uh, one more thing that I have not played yet, Sleeping Gods, even if I have the game, so uh, you can uh, have this as an asterisk maybe. Do you have okay. any honorable mentions? 
I had one, and it's just because I love this theme so much, but it technically... Okay, so I love Nemo. I love Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Like, it's one of my. It was one of my favorite books when I was growing up, and um, I've always wanted to kind of live underwater and stuff like that. But I couldn't put Nemo's word because of that. Um, so I put as my honorable mention Aquasphere because oh. it, it's a lab under the water. Or, yeah, I thought it was cool. Yeah. So, uh, and I wanted to show some love to like a Stefan Feld game who a lot of people call it themeless. But if you look at Aquasphere, I think it's a very cool little world. So I, my honorable mentions Aquasphere. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Aquasphere is, is uh, also an excellent game. And as you said, Stefan Feld in it's maybe the only game with a theme. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we can say that. And I really, I was really thinking about it, but I have plenty of honorable mentions. And, <laughs> of course uh, you do. I, I mean, when I say plenty, not to like, like only six. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair. Okay, I, had to, I had to, I had to, no, you don't get to do that. I had to delete like seven really good thematic really? worlds. Yeah. So I you mean, get what, one. What do you think you about? Get one. Okay. You get one. Okay. Terra Mystica. Okay, yeah. I mean, the factions, they they can have a story behind them. They sure. don't actually, but yeah. but they could like, and, and it makes a world and they're yeah. so different and they can fly, they can do different things. They can uh, mine the dwarfs and okay. I don't know. It, it feels like it could have been a, a great, it's a great missed opportunity for me. Yeah. Uh, so uh, okay, so let's not discuss about all of them. I, I will just mention them: Root, Pandemic Legacy, <laughs> Blood on the Clock Tower, Mage Knight, and you. Twilight, and Twilight Imperium. <laughs> you put Terramistica <laughs> over Twilight Imperium seems harsh in terms of if you if you're excited about no, no. factions, I would say Twilight Imperium is better than that. But uh, yeah. I also no, no, had no, Root no, on my on my extended list, but it didn't make it. So, yeah. I, uh, of course, Twilight, as you say, Twilight Imperium, but Twilight Imperium is the obvious choice. Yeah, I was thinking that Terra Mystica is like nobody would think that there is actually a world behind Terra Mystica if you can think about it. Fair enough. Although I do think they've been making strides towards it, like. The latest version, Age of Innovation, I feel like it's like an attempt to be like, later on in the world of Terra Mystica, we're now in like a steampunk industrialist era. Uh. So there's kind of an attempt to build a world, but not so much. Yeah, but um, I'm always happy to hear Terra Mystica's on a list, you know? So um, way to go. <laughs> All right. So uh, okay. what, what was your number five? My number five is Spirit Island. All right. Nice. In the most distant reaches of the world, magic still exists, <laughs> embodied by spirits of the land, of the sky, and of every natural thing. As the great powers stretch their empires further and further, they will inevitably lay claim to a place where spirits still hold power. <laughs> so it's a cooperative game, and I feel like there's a world there, like there are many uh, spirits that you can play. It's one of them with uh, different uh, attributes and features. And uh, the colonists are coming. I mean, every time you play Spirit Island, I think you can feel the theme and the world coming uh, into play. Yeah. What do you think? I think that's a great choice. I've, I'm yet to really play the game. I've played the app um, on Steam. 
uh-huh. but I haven't played in person. But I think it's a very cool, uh, cool world for sure. I always remember um, talking about uh, on the podcast early on, like episode three or four or something. We talked about Spirit Island, and you were talking about you like the historical accuracy. Um, and I was like, yeah, about the giant rock monster. <laughs> 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 protected Argentina and the, the, <laughs> like the, what are we talking the giant rock yeah the giant the giant rock master was there Elias <laughs> you just need to to find the, open the evidence mind. it's there it's a cool world for sure the, yeah it's, go- it has that like the governments are, are keeping secrets yeah oh for sure we can start another podcast about that <laughs> but uh <laughs> more game conspiracies uh but um we can uh uh, it just reminds me, I don't know if you know, like, um, if you've watched Princess Mononoke or stuff like that, but, like, it has that whole thing about, like, the spirit of the forest or the spirit of the island and, like, defending the local population and stuff. I, I think it's a very cool thing. Nice choice. Good pick. And Avatar. Oh, yeah. And Avatar. <laughs> sure. uh, the right. movie, not the good one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. All right. My number five. I don't know if you've played this, is uh, Onward to Venus, which is a Martin Wallace game. Oh, no. And it's set in uh, the Dr. Grodbort thing universe, which isn't really an IP. So I don't know if you know about Weta Workshops, but they're like, they make models of things. And they, um, I'm realizing this breaks my rules. I didn't think of it as an IP, but it is technically an IP. <laughs> okay, so what? it's too late now, but Weta Workshop, <laughs> they... They make like models and they did all the modeling for like Lord of the Rings stuff. So like all the different, like the Shire and stuff like that. Um, they're this amazing model shop and they have this like fake universe that they made called Dr. Gordbord. And it's this like alternate 19th century uh, empire where instead of colonialism, the British empire uses steam technology and laser rays and stuff to colonize the solar system. <laughs> And so, like, it's all these, like, you know, like, the big hats and the musket guns, but they're ray guns instead. And they're off on, like, Mars or or Venus would make sense. And they're, like, trying to fight the local population. And it parodies and satirizes the British Empire without talking about it in a way that uh, it's a more, like, easy way to digest. And it's a fun, cool universe with cool, like, laser guns and rays and the British Empire is as ridiculous as it can always, as it always is or was, um, uh, in in its belief and it being you know great. What's the Stevie Smith song, uh, quote? The England you've been here too long, but the songs you sing are the songs you've sung on a greater day, but now they are wrong. But it's a great little theme. You're going uh-huh. around, you're colonizing planets, um, fighting you know, alien populations and each other because it's not just a British empire. It's like, you know, all, all the European powers and stuff. And, uh, it's a, it's a little cool, fun theme and, and an interesting way to satirize colonialism, um, without it feeling too sad and in a board game form. So, uh, I would, I would definitely look into that theme if you like sort of alternate history stuff. Um, and also ridiculous steampunk death ray stuff, pulp stuff. Uh, and on Earth to Venus. Great art, I would say also. Gorgeous art. All from Weta Workshop. They did a really good job. Um and uh, I would highly recommend Steampunk it. though I was thinking if if I was going steampunk, 
I would pick uh, Scythe. I wouldn't like, really call Scythe like steampunk. Um, I mean, I guess it is in a sense, but it's yeah, that's a, it's a great theme as well. Scythe is a really good pick as well. Um, I just like this one because, yeah. you know, the idea of like, you know, a British general, you know, landing crashing nose first into the the, the the into the side of venus and coming and being like i declare this place under the name of queen victoria you know that sort of thing i think it's you interesting. know i was so close on playing that game i think ricardo owned the game i own the game but i never played it you did yep and we oh, played it a few times okay. uh, but i don't believe you joined us so no never yeah okay so excellent choice. My number four is a story-centric game about surviving through a harsh winter in an apocalyptic world. Mm. The survivors are all dealing with their own psychological imperatives, but must still find a way to work together to fight off outside threats, resolve crises, find food and supplies, and keep the colony's morale up. So it's working dead. It's not working dead. It's dead of winter. <laughs> <laughs> But You're but such I, a dick. I just re, but I just realized it could have been Walking Dead. I think is Dead of Winter older than Walking no, Dead? No, that's it's oh, not. Wow, so many questions are coming to my. It's definitely not. It's, older. You think it's not? No. Um, because the graphic novel's older, right? Oh. Okay, yes, but okay, and I understand it's a game about zombies, and you're trying to avoid the zombies, but it's so thematic and it's so nice and. You are actually feeling when you're playing uh, the little dog. You have the the capabilities and the features of a dog, so you feel like you are a pet trying to help the humans survive. And when you're the Santa, you are the sad Santa, and you're trying to kill yourself. You're <laughs> just to save the colony. And, and every time you draw a crossroad card, you you read what happens, and it's it's thematic and it's immersive, and it it gets you in the in the theme, I believe it. it's it's such a nice uh, world. I guess yeah, uh, it's kind of cheating of because they're using a lot of text doing that, right? That's all right. That's fine. But uh, I, but I, it's I, all I right. I think it's a good pick. And like, even though I'm not a fan of the game uh, playing wise, I can see why you find that. But maybe I would put it in a list of like immersive themes. I don't know about cool worlds like the world i mean it might be good zombie apocalypse is cool so um yeah yeah so yeah uh, especially when there's We're alcoholic centers so <laughs> <That's great. laughs> uh, so uh, dead of winter is my number four nice at the risk of being what ipo called obvious my number four is twilight imperium <laughs> um Oh my god! I thought it, I thought this is gonna be your number one. Uh, it was initially, and then I realized I like the other three as worlds better. Um, Twilight Imperium is now I'm excited. Is the most excited like is the most interesting like space forex sort of theme. So, uh, and if you're interested in sort of a single crew running through space and stuff, Zaya would be a, a better theme, you know. Or, or but 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 Twilight Imperium, if you're interested in that. Space Empire building, Clash of Civilizations, first contact thing. I think it, it comes through. I think they've produced so much text that is just a labor of love. Like I know there's, you can go online and basically from their website, you can download like 68 pages of theme. And it's just like 
speeches <laughs> from different members of of different factions and the history of them and facts about their home world and like the story of when they first ran into the uh uh the 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 the, the, the what are they called <laughs> the sorcerers the the gene sorcerers and stuff like that um the the Mahakt kings that's what they're called so like it's all this history and like the fall of the Lazex empire and the the era where people sort of grew inward because you know space travel was no longer like worth it for without the existence of that central empire and the trade and the cross pollination of cultures and there's so much in there and they really went above and beyond and like you can just buy the rpg book uh embers of the imperium just for source material just to read about the world and th and it's just it's there you know and there's books about it uh one of which i narrated so if you want to check out <laughs> check <laughs> so there are also audiobooks the, if you're the veiled masters check it out um uh, but uh, <laughs> basically it's all there i love it whenever i play it i feel the theme i i feel immersed in the world and i i really like it i i like twilight imperium mostly for its theme i don't think gameplay wise it's particularly brilliant and i just think the theme and the world itself is all there and that's why it will always be something i love so it's definitely deserves a place in my top five board game worlds. Twilight Imperium. That's what I admire the most in Twilight Imperium, there, that there is a, a lore that is very advanced. And you, as you say, there are so many things that you can read about it. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing that, okay, this is not relevant right now, but the other thing that I admire about this is that they are actually improving, improving the game with every edition. So that's also uh, important. But uh, I couldn't find the, com the combination, the interconnectivity between the theme and the game, between the world and the game, I better say. So I guess this is the reason that it stayed out of my top five, but it's an excellent choice. Of course, it was my honorable mention, and I'm happy that it's in uh, our combined top 10. Sure. Okay. So my number three, right? Yes. So my my number three is uh, uh, where you guide the course of history in an ancient land. Players might take the role of agents bolstering the old orders or scheme to bring the kingdom to ruin. The consequences of one game will ripple through those that follow, changing what resources and actions future players may have at their disposal. And even altering the game's core victory condition. Can you tell what it is? No. I wasn't ah, I wasn't you, listening. I <laughs> sorry. Oh my god. Sorry, sorry. Okay, okay wait. I don't think you have wait, wait, wait. Alter the course no, of no, I heard alter the course game. of history and I heard alter the game and victory condition. Let me see if I can use those two things to to, to pinpoint it. Okay, so one more clue is that I don't think you have played this game. Oh that, that doesn't help me. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. So it's Oath, Chronicles of oh, Empire yeah. and Exile. No, I wouldn't have thought of that. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the game, this is actually the first in my top five that makes a really good job connecting the theme, the world, and the gameplay. Because you really feel that you're trying to get rid of the king or maybe you are the king or maybe you are an ally of the king or you are a rebel and 
if you are visiting the uh, location, the relevant locations that can help you in your uh, quest, and uh, you can change the cause of history, and the world really immerses in the game. I I really love that, and I think that's the most prominent uh, feature of the game and what it makes it special. The game has many flows. I have two of my friends that they don't consider it a game. <laughs> they feel it's it's so random that they cannot play it anymore. But still, I feel uh, that uh, you can just play it to feel the world and what's going on uh, beyond that. Very cool. Very cool. So that was Oath uh, by... Uh, by the designer Cole Werle. What I'm what I'm realizing is that you you defined yours as best um, worlds and board games, best worlds and good games and board games. Like that's kind of like how you're you're looking at it. It's it's like you want the game and you want to feel the theme coming through it. I would call that more like best thematic or whatever. When you said world, why yeah. I got excited is my list is more like coolest worlds in board games you know like just like if we just look at it as a world that you can go spend an hour to eight hours in um how cool is it that's kind of where i i so so that might help explain my next choice is what i'm getting at um is uh and i i have to admit that your interpretation is closer to what i said (laughs) than mine I feel that you did the right thing, and there's no right things in myself. the hypocritic corner. All, all realities are, That's are truths um. are distorted. <laughs> so my number three is a game which I don't think you've played, but I own, and I own a lot of expansions for. It's uh, Golem Arcana. So um, this is a game. It, the actual gameplay is like, it's almost like a minis game, but it's on a board. So it's not like you don't get terrain and, and, and set it up on your table. Um, and you don't have to get like measuring tape and line of sight stuff. It's all done on a board. Um, but the cool concept of the game is there is an app which connects to these like light pens, which I just found out was technology that is from like the 60s or the 50s. Like I thought it was cool new technology, but it turns out light pens like, predates like keyboards as an input method, which is a super interesting concept that's separate. Our friend Saleh, um, who's always coming up with these crazy concepts, made basically a two-hour documentary on YouTube about um, the graphical user interfaces, about GUIs and the history of that. That's where I learned that. But check it out. I'll, I'll put a link down in the description if you're interested in checking it out. Yes. It's a very interesting documentary. He did a great job of it. So it uses these light pens where you can like tap the miniature that you want and then tap where you want to hit or where you want to walk to. And it'll basically put that into the system. And you're building these armies of miniatures that you're going to attack with. Now, the world itself is a world where golems exist, where golems are these creatures made out of materials that are infused with like they don't have their own consciousness but they have like a golem rider that can like ride the golem into battle and they're all sorts every faction has different golems and the theme is like there was this great khan the janu khan who created like who was the first one to bring these golems into the forefront with using um 
he was part of the Gudana Empire where they use like blood and sand to create these golems. And he used these golems to create this massive empire. But then more people learned how to create golems. And when the Khan was brought down at the end of his reign, um, another rival empire came up, the Durrani, who make their make their golems out of stone and brass or bronze, you know? And they were, they were the, these are the two major sides which are going against each other. There are other other factions you can sort of draft into your different armies. So you can you can use the Urugal, who are like golems made out of stone uh, bones from, from the earth. And then you have like the Zikia, who made it out of trees and wood and things that grow. And so you have all these different factions, which are these super cool fucking looking miniatures, and you're building these armies, which can be made out of multiple factions, as long as you don't mix up Gudana, uh, sorry, uh, Gudana and, and Durrani, which are the two major factions. Um, and you build these armies, and you can go to battle against each other, and it's got these cool landscapes and these awesome temples with like faces carved into it. It's clearly inspired by Indian or Middle Eastern aesthetic, but it's its own history for sure. Um, has no, nothing really from actual history. And it just, it's a super cool world to exist in. And you have these golem riders riding these one of a kind golems into battle. And I love it. And there's a lot of theme. There's a whole wiki on it. There's like a whole, you know, golemarcana.fandom.com. You can go on there and you can just read about the history of the various factions. And it's a very cool world that this board game exists in and completely original to the board game. Um, so that's my number three, Golem Arcana. Golem Arcana is a game that I have never heard of, <laughs> but uh, uh, it's uh, f- from your description is like 10 times cooler than all of my games in my top five. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I have to admit that. But... Uh, Still, I have to go to my number two. And uh, my number two is an interactive narrative experience with legacy elements featuring several branching storylines leading to many possible finales and an evolving deck of event cards cards at its core. The players represent the various houses leading the government of the Kingdom of Ankist. A word with real people is the king's dilemma that uh sorry a world with real people a world <laughs> of the of king's dilemma where real people you and me you can feel yourself in representing uh, a house and taking decision for this world and as the game goes by you uh, learn the history you learn the regions you learn that each region has a different uh, product and uh, different priorities and a different history. Uh, But there are also enemies and outside of our borders and each one of them has a different history. So it's so amazing. And the reason that you can feel that and you can live in this world and you can take decisions based on what you know is that uh, you spend a lot of time in this game because it's a campaign game, so you're going to have uh, at least 10 sessions playing the game. And there are so many interesting things going on, like uh, uh, foreign uh, uh, kings uh, suffering a plague in their country and uh, asking you to uh, uh, send some wheat 
uh, or people asking you to uh, revive the old tradition of uh, sacrificing uh, people in your uh, uh, kingdom, in the, your, the religion of your kingdom, or uh, sending quests about... I don't want to spoil a lot, but these are like certain things that are happening in the game where you can send people trying to find the Holy Grail or something like that. So it's a great game and it's a really great world. Uh, I know that they have uh, the publishers have come with a new game, The Queen's Dilemma. I don't know if, the, if this is a continuation of, of the same world or if it's a completely new world. But uh, I highly recommend it and it's my number two for today. Very cool. I love the I love how you sold it on that, and it is something I'd love to to try at some point if I could get a a group that was willing to sort of go through the campaign. I think I'd love to pick up a copy of the Queen's Dilemma. Um, a very good choice. My number two um, is a very unique world for sure, and at the same time, uh, not like as crazy as some of the other ones I talked about, like Golem Arcana and stuff, but. Um, definitely one of the most unique feeling or most interesting feeling ones and that's feudum by mark swanson and oddbird games and uh, uh in feudum you are basically uh you've been uh it says blimey you and your blokes have been banished and stripped of everything but a few shillings and table scraps undaunted you journey to a strange land to reinvent yourself and reclaim your honor will you farm the earth Fighters, knights, or finagle your own feudums. And it doesn't sound very exciting. It's like, oh, you're going to another land and you're farming and becoming knights and stuff. But that, where it really lies is you journey to a strange land. And what a strange land it is. It's got these monsters and sea monsters uh, who aren't like a major part of the game really, but they just kind of exist there and you can use them and they're cool and they're painted in this like baroque style art and with gorgeous colors and stuff and what's really cool is the world that's built around these uh these these guilds and there's all sorts of cool guilds and alchemist guilds and knights guilds and the knights guilds manages the monsters but the uh you know don't forget about the alchemist guilds because other other than deciding on certain market things they're also in charge of bringing out the different vehicles so you can get little submarines and you can get different uh, dirigibles that you can use to fly around so it's a very unique world and it has monsters it has adventure it has trade the the the, the resources in it are not you know salt and gold it's saltpeter <laughs> and sulfur and um it's beautiful and charming and you want to spend time in that world and uh, it's absolutely one of my favorite places to be in terms of something that was created by board games just to sit in that world for four hours while i play that game feudum one of my number two top board game world of all time uh i want to say this is an excellent choice uh, you uh, you need to uh, think, or the listeners must know, that uh, all these that you said are combined with a beautiful art that I invite our listeners to Google right now Feudum and see the images. Uh, Feudum is F-E-U-D-U-M. And the, the art is really amazing. 
And it's also an excellent game. It's a phenomenal game. Which is yeah. <laughs> so combine the world with the. I, I believe that if that if this game was published by a known publisher, it would have gone for a second edition and a third edition and expansions and everything. But this was a, a product of love, I believe, right from the designer. It's on GameFound right now. I believe they're coming up with another edition of it. Um, oh my god! So let me actually look. Okay, send me so the link. I don't give you any <laughs> false information. Yeah, here we go. I don't think my it's god. gone live yet. Oh. It's a preview, but they will be um, coming back with a Great. seventh anniversary collector's edition, including an exclusive brass oh clockwork behemoth. Oh my god! I must pick that up. I would love it. Oh, it looks so cool. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm going to. All right. How do I follow this? Follow. Yeah. Okay. I'm probably going to. I'm just going to back the extras. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. You need to put this in the episode description, I guess. Done. Because (laughs) it's not fair what you're doing right now. But anyway, uh, so high high praise for a few doom. I'm going to go to my number one. My number one, it's the early 20th century. You have decided to sail back to the newly discovered seventh continent <laughs> to attempt to lift the terrible curse that has struck you since your return from the previous expedition. So for people that don't know the game, it's the seventh continent. Uh, basically, when we say about worlds, I don't think you can remove, you can not think about this game because it's a, it's a whole world it's a whole continent that you're supposed to explore and for me when i first sat down and was thinking okay let's think about worlds it was the first thing that came to my mind okay it's an excellent game that uh, i suggest uh, to play solo or two players even three maybe but not more than that we didn't we didn't enjoy it too um, but I, I, I never tried it solo. Maybe I should have. Maybe it would still be in my collection. Uh, and to be honest, I have uh, completed the uh, the original game, but I have not played the expansions, which are so many, and they're adding even more things to the continent, which is already huge, and it's terrifying for me to start now <laughs> again. And <laughs> so this gives you the size of the effort and the size of the world and this alone i think it's a it's an accomplishment from the designers it made my extended list so i think it would be top 10 12 round about but um it's very good uh the reason i didn't put it ultimately is it's supposed to be set in this world but also they borrowed a lot of random things like one of the players you can be is hp lovecraft for some reason you know what I mean? Or you can, or you can like, it's just, it, it feels like a mishmash um, of other themes set on this island. And, and also, how many curses can be on one island? Like, everything you're doing is to remove the curses. But if you're playing with, say, all four base game curses, you have four curses on you. Like, what have you done in your life to get four curses placed on you? It's um, fascinating. That's that's on you. That's on. You. I don't know. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a great pick. I, I I think you did a great job. 
Um, my number one is actually not super surprising. Um, I've often touted this as my favorite board game world. Um, do you know what that could be, Ipo? Could it be Euphoria? It could be Euphoria. It's Euphoria. Build a better <laughs> dystopia from Jamie Stegmeier and Stonemeyer Games. Um, I love dystopia. Like in, when you talk about themes, yeah. um, when a book starts off or a story starts off like in the future, everybody is good. I'm like, I'm not super interested in it. But when it starts off with like, people think they're happy. <laughs> but in actuality, there's like, <laughs> a small sub ruling class that's making all the decisions and keeping people yeah. like I, I'm buying baby. Exactly. I'm all in. I'm all in. <laughs> and I think Jamie Stegmaier does a terrific job sort of building this theme where you have like the euphorians and you have the subterraneans that live under euphoria, like little rat people. And then you have, um, it's funny to call them rat people because the euphorians themselves are running in little hamster wheels because they need to keep healthy, but that's how they generate electricity for the city yeah. of euphoria and then you have the people that live in the farms the outlanders who are probably the people that are most in control of their own lives and probably the ones that should be considered like you know the most like respectable people but in fact they're kind of looked at as like barbarian savages living outside and and then you have the people that are on drugs that are living in the sky on uh, uh, basically a, a drug that makes you more like complacent and willing to accept the the, the the dystopia that you live under and it's just it's funny and it's 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 also clever and even though Jamie doesn't spend any time writing anything like a lot of the stories just told in the board layout and the different factions and the leaders and the things that are collected as like artifacts, like a beat up copy of viticulture or like a, an old teddy bear missing an eye, you know, or like stuff like that. And then like the little cards of like, when you have to make a decision and then instead of explaining what the decision is, it says just like a couple words and then the art just brings so many, like there's one thing where you're helping a friend escape and you have to decide whether you want to help them or, or, or not help them. And one of the, 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 one option is basically you waving goodbye to that person flying off in an air, air, air balloon. And the other one is you shooting out the air balloon. <laughs> so it falls to the ground. Like there was no explanation necessary that explains everything. And it's, it's a, I want to see things filmed there. I want to see a series written there. I want to see more stories told in those universe, in that universe, in these different factions. And I think it's really great. And, uh, it's always been when people want to know how creative you can be with board game worlds, like people say, Oh, a lot of fantasy and sci-fi and farming, but what is there really? I show them euphoria because euphoria and freedom to a certain extent they they show you how you can break that mold and still appeal to to people and engage people and just be a wonderful place to spend some time um euphoria my number one board game world <laughs> fantastic i want to say for uh the euphoria uh game was for both of us i think the number one game in Back in an episode where we were doing the top three of uh, games that we want to see uh, in a movie. That's right. That's correct. Or world, or worlds from a, from games that we want to see in a movie. We can actually talk so about that real so quick. It, it was, it was, it was our 
episode one, top three games to turn into a movie slash TV series. And yours were Euphoria, Tragedy Looper, and Galaxy Trucker. And mine was, oh, Euphoria, Onward to Venus. <laughs> uh, although I, oh my God, I, tied it, I tied it with World of Smog. I kind of wanted to do like a mashup of the two. And then Pax Porfiriana, because I like Westerns. Dima had Golem Arcana, top of her <laughs> list. Galaxy Trucker and wow. City of Iron. That's a good, good pick, by the way. City of Iron. And yeah. Byron had Secret Hitler, Rising Sun, and Munchkin. I don't know about Byron's list. What? But the rest, <laughs> the rest of us did a great job. <laughs> um, and also, when, when you said that the, the, in, the, in Euphoria there is a treadmill uh, that they're uh, producing energy. Yeah. Have you seen that there is a Black Mirror episode where they're doing bicycle to produce energy? No, I haven't. I, I don't watch a lot of a lot of. I think uh, that yeah, and that came after uh, Euphoria, I believe. Yeah, it would make sense. Euphoria is from twenty thirteen, right? So, um, oh, maybe not. Maybe not. Then maybe I'm wrong. I yeah, yeah it's anyway. it's just really lovely, really good, and uh, I really like it. I think we we got some good choices out there. Um, so. Uh, Go explore your world. I think so. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, so that was excellent. Thank you very much. This time, I really want the listeners to tell us what are their uh, top five uh, worlds in board games. I'm really interested to know. So you can find us in our Board Game Geek Guild or Instagram or YouTube account now. Yes. We also do that. We don't have a TikTok yet. Never. And you can find you can you can find the never say never. You can find the link in our episode description. Thank you, Elias. <laughs> Sorry, I was just waiting for you to get through your script over there. Um, but thank you so much for listening. That brings us to the end of this tabletop session. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Tabletop Sessions, on YouTube at Tabletop Sessions, or at our Board Game Geek at Tabletop Sessions podcast or whatever it's called. Join the conversation, share a fun story of board game shenaniganism, or as I say sometimes, hooliganism. I love stories about hooliganism. And let us know what your top five was this month over at any of our platforms and you can find the link to all of these in the episode description check it out engage with us we're super interesting people sometimes most of the times not really you know we're kind of boring but sometimes we're fun and maybe maybe we'll be your friend <laughs> that's that's all that's all i have to say so we'll be back in a month and until then to quote one of my favorite writers by the way, it's Kurt Vonnegut. I know it's like episode 44 and I have never actually said that. God damn it. You've got to be kind. Say bye. Go find new worlds. Bye, guys. I like it. Very Star Trek-y. It's, uh... very, very Facebook. Go find new worlds. Is that what Facebook is doing as the meta thing? Is that what they're doing? No, no. I mean, it's like an image that you would post, and then it would, it would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go find new worlds. Yeah, and then you put and, the caption uh, like Paolo, Paolo, feel, feeling like Paolo this, this morning, <laughs> <laughs> ready to take on the world.
Well, who's in Facebook anymore? Only old people. Basically, my father. And you. <laughs> I'm not anymore. I'm not posting anything. You're so cool. <laughs> because, because it, yes, again, because it's basically my father and his siblings. So, so that makes that makes a lot of eighty over eighty years old people. Yes. That uh, we're trying we're trying to avoid. That's more than one. That's a lot of eighty years okay. old people. Okay. Okay. <laughs>